Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today and uh, with so many blessings by your grace poured out upon us, not because of our works, not because of our obedience, not because of our faith, but by your great grace, you have reached out to us sinners and drawn us to yourself. And even as Paul often writes about it, compelled us, we had no choice but to to come and to uh, submit to the hand of the of the Lord God, your hand, Heavenly Father, upon us. And it's so humbling to consider it and all that you have done sovereignly in us and around us, in our loved ones, in our friends, in many as we've uh, over the years had opportunity to testify and continue to testify uh, as you give us opportunity. And Father, I thank you for doors that you open and may we be aware of them and uh, walk through them with the word of grace. We Father, we pray that in the darkness that our nation is in, there may be many opportunities to reach out to others in times of trial and circumstances that have come upon our nation and upon our people have led many to cry out to you, Heavenly Father. I'm sure that's true. And it's true around the world, too. And this earthquake uh, reminds us of that. Uh, these earthquakes there in Syria and Turkey Surely many have called out to you, Heavenly Father, from there and from around the world concerning that great suffering. So we pray, Father, that uh, many would be given eternal hope, uh, whatever their circumstances may be there or here in our own land. We pray that there might be a revival, indeed, a real, true one, and that it might be uh used by you, Father, to bring many to yourself in these dark and perhaps last days that we're currently living in. So many are given over to lies, and uh, so few seem to be seeking truth, but there are some. And, and so, of course, Father, we know you're the one that opens the hearts and the minds. So we pray for uh, those in leadership positions here in our nation or in media, as we've already discussed this morning, that their minds and hearts would be opened, and not just open to political truth, certainly that can be a benefit, but uh, to spiritual truth. So, Father, we, we just pray for all our friends and family who still are in great need, Father, of you. We pray that our witness would continue on and be a, used and be a blessing to many. I pray, Father, for our meeting this morning that the truth of your word would capture our hearts and minds and uh, be a great blessing. And I would ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I continue to be so blessed in preparing again for today's time in God's word in Second Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. Last time we we looked at Paul, the man, the messenger, and his message, and saw that they were all of grace. Paul was saved 
through the abundant manifestation of the mercy and grace of God, he became, because he was called, into apostleship and became a messenger and was sent forth with that message of grace, that message of grace being the only message through which we can be saved. And uh, that wonderful gospel and then the teaching that went with that concerning how how the Lord God is working today under grace during this dispensation. And we saw how Paul contrasted grace with law. And that's a central teaching here also in this letter, not only in Romans, not only in Galatians is that the central theme, but also here in Second Corinthians in the section we were looking at here in chapter 3. You remember these words, maybe from chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. (laughs) So very, very... Powerfully and with words that really can't be, I think, easily twisted another way, although many do. But uh, Paul shows the contrast between law and grace by going back to Moses. You remember that situation. Moses came down from the mountain with the um, tablets of stone, right? And uh, he had been in the very presence of God, and his face was shining as a result of being directly in the presence of Almighty God. And uh, he covered his face. Uh, It says in Exodus he did that because the people were afraid to come and listen listen to his speaking because they saw the glory on his face. But... uh, Paul reveals what isn't revealed in Exodus, and that's that there was another reason that Moses covered his face, and that's that uh, he didn't want the people to see that the glory was fading, that it was passing, and therefore they might consider the law was not really all that important if the glory from Moses' face faded away. Quickly, then perhaps the law itself that he delivered was not really all that important and could easily be ignored. Well, that would have been a a big mistake for the children of Israel because through Moses, God had placed them under that law. And so he covered his face that they might not know the fading power ultimately in God's eternal program of redemption, the fading power of law, that someday grace would take its place. And that's exactly what has occurred. And so Paul says to the Corinthians in this letter, he writes very strongly concerning this point, that they are in fact a living letter written not with human hands, but by the uh, power of the spirit of god and so uh, they are there uh, as his as his mark of uh, ministry and uh, 
authority. It's they themselves, living letters. What a contrast with a document written on stone. Living as opposed to dead, one condemning and bringing death, the other uh, encouraging with gifts of righteousness and life, even the very life of Christ itself, deposited in sinners and transforming them from glory, he writes, to glory. And those are those key verses there at the end of the chapter three. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And so Paul says the spirit operating in the hearts of the Corinthians is the same that was there with Moses on the mount. This is the Lord, he says. (laughs) And, uh, So therefore, Moses' law that was written in the very words given by God um, is being contrasted with the word of grace written in human hearts by the spirit of the living God, right? Uh, And bringing eternal life to those that hear it and receive it by faith. So what a contrast that is. And he he very clearly says in several ways, using the strongest possible words, that that law has been annulled, that law has been set aside, that law has been terminated, that law no longer has the, uh, the, uh, let's say, authenticity as the rule under which we are living today. That law condemns because no one can live up to it. There's always failure. There's always a need for some kind of uh, repentance and confession and sacrifice, even according to that law. But according to this, the principle of grace, uh, we're blessed not according to our works, but uh, according to the uh, will and purpose uh, of Almighty God to freely grant us as he writes in Ephesians chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So so the bottom line really is this, that uh, Moses had his face veiled so the glory of God could not be clearly seen. Paul says we don't wear any veil and there's no veil on the word today so that the glory of God's grace today may be seen by all, right? And when is it seen? He says that when we look into the mirror and see ourselves there as the Lord sees us, being glorified by the almighty power of God, the spirit of liberty under grace, working in us all from glory to glory. So there's a process under uh, that work of God today, a process in us that takes us from glory, which was the beginning of our salvation, to glory, which will be 
in heaven itself. Okay, that process is ongoing here. Now, from here on, Paul writes about how that process works itself out, and he sets himself, of course, as we well know, as our example. And so his personal testimony now takes the center stage uh, in this letter. So let's go directly into that, our outline today. First of all, Paul's testimony of the working of the Spirit in him should be compelling to us. Paul's testimony, the working of the Spirit in him should be compelling to us. Okay. Secondly, the working of grace in Paul is for our glory and demands our attention. If if the Lord God worked grace in Paul and through Paul, and if it was, as he says, it was for the Lord's glory and for uh, uh, the Corinthians' glory and therefore ours, that would demand our attention, would it not? I mean, how could anything that glorious, that wonderful, not demand our close attentions? So that's the second point. Third point is, for Paul and for us, our eternal prospect of glory is always transforming. And so Paul reveals what our eternal prospect of glory is. This is for every believer, every believer, not just for certain select ones. Uh, that prospect, that looking forward, that grasping on to the revelation of our eternal inheritance, that is transforming for the believer today. It was true for Paul, and he gives his testimony of that, and it's true for us. So that's what I want us to focus on today. It's a wonderful, wonderful message, is it not? Okay, so we'll start reading that first point. Paul's testimony of the working of the Spirit in him should be compelling for us. Okay, so Linda, would you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Okay, thank you, Linda. So, so you see there very clearly, you look at the first verses we just read and then the last one. Um, that uh, this was all designed by God to make Paul the example for all of us of how God is working today under grace. I mean, that, that's the whole point of it, he says. 
we sh- it's a compelling message Paul has set forth as not simply apostle, an apostle, not only apostle of the Gentiles. He's sent forth to be an example, a pattern, uh, really, of how God is working today. And that pattern is designed by God. So just like all of the Corinthians, he says, you are all living letters. What about Paul? He's certainly a living letter, and we're supposed to take note of it. And uh, we're supposed to imitate him. He exhorts us that way in other places, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, but in four or five other places as well. We've looked at those before. Okay, so how was God working in Paul? That's a question to be answered, and he gives us that answer uh, right here to that question in these first verses. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, now why is that important? Well, because earthen vessels are extremely frail and easily you've ever dropped one like on the countertop or on the floor you might have found it in many pieces all over the room and difficult to uh, to collect and clean up properly right uh, earthen vessels clay pots in other words um, are frail they're are some existing from ancient times that were buried away somewhere. Very few survived the centuries well, right? <clears throat> and the ones that did survive because of the uh, the coatings that they put upon those. Uh, porcelain, for example, being one thing. But uh, if they were simply baked in an oven, they wouldn't last for many centuries. And so he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he says there's a purpose for that. In other words, God has written in our hearts, such as they are, as earthen vessels, for a purpose. And what was the purpose? He says, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then he gives some details and then summarizes it there in uh, verses uh, 10, 11, and 12. Okay, so the details are important. He says, we're troubled on every side. He had not distressed. Why not distressed? (laughs) Why not press beyond limits? Well, because the Lord God is writing this (laughs) letter in our hearts, okay? We're perplexed, but not in despair. Why not in despair? Many are in despair today, and we suffer as they do and they as us. The human condition is such as it is, right? But he says we're not in despair. He says persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And why not? (laughs) And the answer is, Because, he says, we know that we're bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus for the purpose that, in order that, so this is God's 
what God's uh, rationale behind the whole thing, right? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. In our body. That's where the Lord God has uh, uh, ordained that he would manifest forth his strength, right? So that's uh, the details. Then, then the uh, the summary there, always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Now, this is something you may not have, and I, I, I have not enough uh, contemplated down through the years. Uh, in fact, um, it always seemed rather difficult to me to uh, focus on this and on these words, delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Sort of like, how could that be? Because isn't Jesus' death so significant that everything else pales into total insignificance in comparison, right? And yet he says here of himself, and I don't think he's blasphemously writing these words either, if he is, and this is an incredible uh uh, failure on his part. I don't believe it for a moment. Um, because it's not only here, but he writes it over and over in his letters in different ways. But he says it's for Jesus' sake that he is suffering. In other words, it's part of the plan of God for weakness to be used by God to reveal his strength. For our failure is to reveal his glory and power. And Paul is set forth as the example for that. He says of himself, always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Now, there are, as we've seen before, some ways that make it easier to comprehend this. If we just think about the body of Christ and how Christ is the head and we are the members and and uh, he feels, therefore, what we feel, and we are supposed to feel what he feels. Now, I don't mean to put it in the realm of pure experience. Really, it's a great act of faith. So the word feel might not be quite adequate if you're just thinking about feeling in the physical sense. But uh, to perceive the spiritual connection between ourselves and uh, our Lord Jesus is what Paul is uh, all about here. Okay, so and and on the other side of it, the Lord, he feels, he 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 senses very directly all of our trials. And if you don't agree with that, that somehow you would be able to sense our trials, then you're really missing out on a profoundly important truth, right? And so Paul writes about that in this way with himself as an example. So he says, we are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And uh, that's not the end of the statement, you see, because then he, he, he answers the question, why? Well, we're delivered into death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And he just said how that life is manifested, persecuted but not forsaken, distressed but not perplexed, not in despair, 
rather perplexed, but not in, dis- in despair. Forsaken, but not cast down, destroy- not destroyed, okay? Because the Lord God has written in his heart something that's enduring and given him a hope, he says, a little earlier we saw that, a hope that is so special it has changed everything for him. Okay, and so he says, to summarize there in verses 10, 11, and 12, always bearing about in the body the dying, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, for we which live are always delivered into death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, and here's the culmination, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. Because he was an instrument that God used in the lives of those around him, and in particular these Corinthians here, and by application to us now reading these words of power and grace in us, life in us. Okay, so a treasure in earthen vessels. Our weakness is the condition for the display of God's power and strength and glory. Paul says that's true for himself, and he wants that to be true for us as well. However, in our day, this message may not be very popular because we live in a day when uh, it's a day of great plenty on every side, Uh, signs, wonders, and Miracles everywhere promoted by the media, by hawksters, I would call them, hawksters on TV and radio and Internet with health and wealth as their calling cards. That's what's being preached, not what Paul is preaching and teaching here. Paul's message isn't that popular today, therefore, is it? Uh, People would rather have something else instead. Something other than the working out of God's grace in the hearts of sinners using our weaknesses to promote his strength. But Paul's testimony was very powerful. And he was confident, it's pretty clear, isn't it? He was confident the Corinthians would receive it as he had intended. Praise God. Well, that brings us to the second point. But will we receive it? That's the question. We're challenged in the same ways the Corinthians were. Will will we receive his testimony? Will we imitate him and uh, reflect the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? That's uh, the challenge for us. Okay, so second point, the working of grace in Paul is for our glory and demands our attention. Okay, so, you know, you may have read these letters quickly before, uh, maybe even studied them and certainly couldn't read them without seeing Paul is giving testimonies everywhere, right? But you may not have realized that the testimonies of Paul 
really uh, should assume a larger significance than, than we may have thought. Okay, and that's the point he's going to make next here uh, in these next verses. So, Dana, would you read for us from verses 13 through 18, please? We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it, it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up, us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. The abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Amen. Aren't those amazing words? Really? So... Paul says that he is choosing to stand on the shoulders of someone who's gone before. Now, who went before and uttered these words in verse 13 here? It was David. He's quoting from the psalm. David wrote, I believed and therefore have I spoken. <laughs> okay, so um, Paul says, well, David was in a trial for his life for years as he was being uh, uh, pursued, first of all, by Saul and his armies and so forth, right? Uh, and, and then later by his own son and uh, others uh, in Absalom's uh uh, entourage, as it were, that rather would have had Absalom as king than his father David. Okay, so uh, Paul uh, is is standing on David's shoulders here because David in those days said, "I believed, and therefore have I spoken." And it was because of the words that he was speaking all the time that uh, there was so much resistance. And uh, I think we should understand that uh, that's uh, a main reason, not the only reason, why David was being uh, pursued and uh, why they wanted to even take his life, right? Uh, it wasn't seek, simply seeking vain glory for themselves. It was, but they were uh, against the work of God and the word of God that was being uh, boldly uh, proclaimed by King David, who was also a prophet, as you well know, right? And an author of much scripture. Okay, so uh, so Paul says, well, I, I choose to follow after David in this regard. And it has to do with uh, not looking at the things that are seen, because if we focus on those, uh, we'll be taken down into despair and failure and so forth. 
but looking at the things which are not seen because it's in the realm of what's not seen often where God is working, okay? And he mostly is working in human hearts, and nobody can look into another person's heart and see the Lord working in there. Uh, you may see evidences of it if it comes forth, but uh, you can't really see the unseen, of course. It's sort of true by definition, right? And so he says... We have the same spirit of faith, according as is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Okay, so I guess I'd ask this question. How well do we stand on the shoulders of the faithful who've gone before? You can read about many of them there in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, where quite a list is made. But in our own lives, there are those that have had great influence on us. How well have we taken to heart that influence? Have we taken it well to heart or not so well? Um, and so Paul is uh, forcing us here to consider our own uh, walk with the Lord. And uh, he goes on then and he says that his suffering... is for us, for us, for our sakes. Um, and you really need to look at one particular word here, which uh, <clears throat> you may have missed, and that's in verse 13. And that word that stands out is the word faith. Okay. He says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. I believed, there's uh, another word for faith, I believed, uh, and therefore have I spoken. What does it mean to say, I believed and therefore spoke? What it means is that to to David, who wrote the words originally there, and certainly to Paul, uh, he had they had received the revelation of God concerning future work of God and uh, how God was even working in their own times, right? Okay, and they were to receive it by faith and then to speak it forth boldly to others that they also might know how God was working and therefore they might respond accordingly, that their lives would be transformed by this knowledge. And that's really what he means when he says, having the same spirit of faith, according as written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. And then he makes it clear that that's what he's writing about in the next couple of verses. But verse 14 says, knowing, okay, I believed and speak, knowing that he which, this is what was revealed to him about how God was working, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Okay, now if that's what, the Lord God has revealed now to Paul, right, concerning 
himself and all of us looking to a future time, right? Uh, that we're all going to be raised up together and presented us and presented to the Lord gloriously, right? That's where it's all heading. We're all going to the same place, he says here. Well, would that make a difference in how you live your life today if you really, really knew this well, indeed, and shared it with others, right? But that's exactly what Paul is saying he is doing and that God is using him as an example of that, right? So so Paul's life has been changed, and he's no longer uh, cast down and destroyed, even though his life is uh, under great peril every day, he says, right? Because he has this eternal, glorious hope. And that's verse 15. For all things, he says now, God's working this all in me for your sakes. All things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. So we'll all be transformed when we have this active living hope, he says, right? And it's a hope, not, you see, that somehow God is just going to change everything right now and give us everything we ask for. He doesn't mention that anywhere here, right? The hope is for eternal glory together with the Lord, and that in the days we're living now, even though we suffer greatly, perhaps, will be an example to others of the glory and grace of God. Boy, if we could learn this lesson, we will have learned something. We'll look back on and say, that was the day I finally grasped onto this truth. And these words finally had their full impact in me and changed me forever, right? And you see the consequence for Paul, verse 17, and 16 and 17, for this cause we faint not, but though our outward man is perishing. Notice the, the tenses of the words, present tense. Though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Well, how can that be? How does that work? He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So he's looking forward, not to being delivered from all of these trials, but to what will be his reward. He's going to write about rewards later in the next chapter. Uh, When he is face to face with the Lord and gathered together with all the saints of God, all together sharing in this eternal weight of glory. So great, you can't put a measure on it. That word exceeding, I pointed out there, uh, hyperbolic is the the root word we get our English word from their same Greek word. But he says, for this to work out as it should, we need to be changing our mindset. Verse 18, while, okay, so our inward man is being renewed day by day, even though our outward man is perishing, while 
we are looking not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So if you look at your circumstances and you're overwhelmed by them and cast down by them, destroyed by them, and so so uh, uh, depressed by them that you can hardly go on, it's because you are not looking at the things which are not seen and by faith taking the promises of God to heart. That's the whole point of the whole section here and what a message it is. So we have to know what's been promised and by faith receive that as our present reality in order to be transformed as Paul was his example for us here. He was transformed exactly, he says, for that reason. So the Lord God is working miracles in us from grace to grace while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. And by faith, receive them as reality today. Faith is what gives substance to the things not seen, remember? Hebrews 11, verse 1. So future glory is promised for those who suffer with him in a godly way. Okay, that brings us to the last point quickly then. Oh, I wish it could be. It can't be. We'll have to save it, maybe. How can that be? Well, for Paul and for us, our eternal prospect of glory is always transforming. Our eternal prospect of glory is always transforming. This is how God is working today. Okay, and you see it here. And uh, so let's just read the verses and we'll come back here next time. We can't uh, uh, properly consider what's written here in a couple of minutes. So I'd like Jerry Elizabeth and Patty to read these verses. So 2 Corinthians, Jerry, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. For we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed, with our habitation, which is from <clears throat> heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Amen. Okay, so you see that... Um some details are given here concerning our eternal future inheritance, and Paul is leaning on that and depending upon that, and it's transforming his current experience, okay? Uh, verse 4, we that are in this tabernacle here, the one that's perishing, right, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Oh, so this life is merely a preparation 
that comes uh, out very clearly here in these words of preparation for eternity. Okay, uh, then uh, Elizabeth, would you please read uh, verses 5 through 8? Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth. Confident and confident, always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, we'd rather be present with the Lord. So he says we walk now by faith and not by sight, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Okay, and then um, Patty, verses 9 through 11. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Okay, thank you all for reading those key verses. So Paul immediately now uh, switches over to... The future prospect, which is being joined together with the Lord. And when we are uh, called into heaven's glory, all of us together at the same time, we will then at that point in time uh, have a great review. And that will be a review, uh, he says, of all that has been done. And it's uh, using uh, the language of farming. Good, meaning uh, uh, pleasant, meaning good fruit, or bad, meaning and that word's used for fallow ground when the ground is just left without fruit uh, for a year or two or three, right? And so the 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 work is judged as to whether or not, and as he's written in in the first letter whether or not it was founded on Christ truly or not. Okay, that's what makes the difference. So it's the works that are being evaluated. He doesn't say here the sins are being evaluated and see whether or not we uh, uh, will uh, ever be in the presence of the Lord. That's, of course, totally false teaching altogether, being promoted by millions, (laughs) unfortunately, today. Uh, This is all about the the uh, evaluation of our fruit and whether it's foul or fair, as it were, uh, true or uh, an authentic or false. And uh, the one will be immediately burned and, you know, 
it'll be chaff, as it were, uh, and the other will be transformed into rewards of glory. <clears throat> okay, so the goal, he says, is, uh, of course, uh, the glorious blessing of God. And uh, that's what we all look forward to. And I'm, I, I think he uses the word terror correctly there in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So there is a day coming, and uh, it is a time of evaluation, and is he writing here only to unbelievers? He's really writing to believers, right? Not unbelievers. This is not the great white throne judgment he's writing about here. This is the judgment that only believers are present for. And uh, that has been often called the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, so we'll start there next time, look into that a bit more. And I'll take you back to uh, chapter what, three, I guess it is, First Corinthians, or six, I forget which one, I think three, to see how it's written of there and what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. So praise God, um, we are all living letters. And this life is merely a preparation for eternity. And... Uh, the trials of this life are opportunities for God to work, and we really do need to see them as such. If we do not, we'll be living like unbelievers, seeking deliverance uh, in our own way, seeking deliverance according to our own abilities and not uh, resting in the glorious power of Almighty God and in the wonders of his grace because from god's point of view see he sees the end from the beginning and that's what we need to see too that's why paul is revealing it to us here praise god well i hope this has been a great blessing to you it's been as i said a big blessing to me uh, again and i remember the day when uh, one of these verses so strongly tugged on my spirit that I was changed permanently by it. And that's a, a verse there in the section we looked at today. So perhaps you can look back to a day when uh, maybe it will be today when one of those verses captured your heart and mind forever. Amen. Praise God. Are there any comments today before we close or questions? Hi, Jen. This is Lewis, and thank you for uh, the sermon. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I, I want to make a quick comment on the so-called the walk of the believers. And since oftentimes I heard people saying that, you know, we should pay for more faith, more faith, and uh, the strength to do things. Then I've been thinking about this for actually quite some time, and I... I gradually come to this conclusion that uh, it's not about our faith. I'm not saying that our faith is not important. Because the anchor of our faith is in Lord's uh, faithfulness. 
uh, without Lord's faithfulness, our faith means nothing. So in order to tap into, uh, to better understand the faithfulness of the Lord, we really need to read Bibles, to constantly be reminded how faithful the Lord has been, whether through the Old Testament or through the New Testament, especially in a lot of Paul's writing. It was very, very clear in terms of Paul was teaching Lord's faithfulness. So yes. with that being anchored, I think our faith can be strengthened. Yes. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, absolutely. Uh, without the Lord's faithfulness and without believing on that, right, <laughs> that the Lord will take us to that destination, right? He He will be faithful. Yes. Without that faith, I mean, we think of faith as some sort of uh, feeling or something of that sort, you know, some some kind of a experience instead of a work of God in us. But the Lord God is working in us that we might have this faith, which is just a reflection of his faithfulness, right? Praise yeah. God. Okay, any other comments, anyone? Well, and as, as you pointed out, Lewis, how do we know about God's faithfulness? Well, we read in the Word of God, and we see from it how faithful God has been from the beginning. Mm. Without the Word of God, I, I'm glad you brought that out, Lewis, because um, without the Word of God, we're just, you know, having a hope so. Mm -hmm. But with the Word of God, faith always has an object. The object of our faith is God's faithfulness. So thank you for that, Lewis. That was very, very, very good. And I could, I could add one thing. I mean, often people have, well, I shouldn't say so often. I wish it were more often. But occasionally someone will say to me, well, Jim, what, what is going to happen next? I mean, and, and how, how can we know what to expect next? Because they're not being taught in their own assemblies uh, what Paul was teaching here, right? Concerning our future inheritance, right? They're not being taught that. And so they have <clears throat> all kinds of images in their mind about gold streets and things like this that they have no interest in. <laughs> well, how can I look forward to that when... It's not even interesting, right? I mean, I actually had somebody say that to me one time, <laughs> and I was really taken aback that they had been receiving so little teaching that they had no confidence concerning to our future, our heavenly future. But Paul writes very much about it here in very concrete words, doesn't he? And if we don't have the revelation of that, and the promise of God that he will accomplish it through 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 these words, then what does our faith attach to, right? It needs to attach to truth. And that's written here in God's word. Okay, any other comments before we close today? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you again. And may the words... Uh, with their power that you've placed in them, Father, transform our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus for eternal glory. And Father, I, I thank you that uh, 
we have an opportunity as your children, as living letters now, to reveal that truth to others. And I pray that we do that, yes, absolutely, in our actions and in our demeanor and in our uh, words also, that the word of truth might be shared by those that desperately need to hear it. And uh, we are the very vehicles for that precious word today. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name, and may your great blessing rest upon us all until we are together again. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the Lord, all.